Back to Happy, A Journey of Hope, Healing, and Waking Up is a small but powerful book about healing from one of life's greatest tragedies, the loss of a child. It's about love and sadness and being human. The nine lessons in Back to Happy are intended to be food for a broken but awakening soul. Healing from grief and loss is possible. Finding joy again is possible. Back to Happy, in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook at Amazon.com. For more information, visit backtohappybook.com. about death has never been an easy subject for us humans. In fact, we often will do everything we can to avoid a conversation that has anything to do with that subject. But since it's a fact of life that we all will die, and in this particular time in our history with baby boomers coming to the end of life in greater numbers than ever, maybe it's time that conversations about death and dying became a more easeful thing for us. And to facilitate this conversation, I have just the person today. A new field of study in thanatology is an advanced and practical training in dying, death, and grief that can enhance our comfort level, our, our competence, and our confidence in both professional and personal contexts. And the overall goal of a course in thanatology is to enhance the care of those who are dealing with death and bereavement. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Happy Healthy You, the podcast. I'm Connie Bowman. And today on the podcast, I have Michelle Pierce, PhD. She's a program director of Applied Thanatology, which, as I said, is the study of death and the dying at the University of Maryland Center for Integrative Medicine, which is a part of the School of Medicine there. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you for having me. This always happens with my podcasts. I have people that show up in my life or situations that show up just in time for me to know how I'm going to lead this. So this is one of those. Today, I had a good friend who stopped by for a visit. And I didn't know this, but his dad died in December. And he had worked in the hospice field for 10 years himself volunteering. And he became ill. And he let his illness sort of unfold naturally. And he died at home with his family around him. And it was a short, sort of a short length of the suffering was short on his end. And his family was really grateful for the graceful way that he he transitioned from this world. And I think that is so rare. And, and obviously, his work with hospice was helpful in that. Right. Um, this field of thanatology is really, it's burgeoning, it's new, and the University of Maryland seems to be really on the cutting edge with this. Talk about a little bit about how thanatology is coming into the mainstream and why it's important for our society at this time. Sure. And you know, the study of death and dying as an academic field is relatively new, but within the different disciplines, I mean, talking about death and the issues of dying, that's been, you know, for hundreds of years, different disciplines have dealt with these things, but it is relatively new that as an academic uh, pursuit, thanatology has come into the scene. Yeah. Um, for us, we've just started our program at the University of Maryland, Baltimore. We just started this January. And religions have obviously dealt with it and other oh, yes. different different institutions. But for a university system to, to bring this on as a particular course, that, they must see that there's a need for it. Well, there is a need for it. Um, professionals don't get a lot of this training as they're going through their studies. 
And so even the physicians, the nurses, the people we think that deal with death and dying the most, who would be most prepared, haven't necessarily had the training to have those conversations. Yeah. And, and you would think that seems sort of unusual that that would be true, but, but it is true, isn't it? So why is it important that we, as a society and as a um, culture, develop more of a capacity for conversations like this and, and an ability to really embrace death and dying and help people with bereavement? Well, I think, you know, basically it's part of all of our lives. Is something that each of us are going to have to deal with personally, and a lot of us in our professions are going to have somehow will touch upon death or dying and grief. And so, in both contexts, personally and professionally, I think we need to be prepared for those conversations. Yeah, for sure. And the baby boomers, as I said, you know, right. they they do seem to lead the way in they our culture do. in this country, and um, with more and more of them aging, yeah, they're going to teach us a lot about right. death and dying. So what are you learning in your thanatology course and what are what are you as a leader in mm-hmm. in that and the students who are in your course this semester what are you guys learning about um, how we deal with death in our culture and, and what we can do better? Well, it's interesting. I was reading the discussion board that the students are writing on for this first course and they were talking about these really two different different ways that people approach it. Either there's this sort of avoidance or they ignore it, so kind of a denial of this, or there's almost sometimes this uh, hyper-focus on death and dying in our culture as well, so think of kind of the zombie fetish or those Oh, yeah, isn't that funny? I mean, zombies and vampires were big for a while ago, now they're zombies, crazy. So it's sensationalized on one hand, or it's kind of ignored or denied. And, uh, you know, the purpose of this is really to bring people in the middle so that we're comfortable dealing with it. So we don't have to have one of those two extreme ex- uh, approaches. Yeah. And what is that when we go to the extreme with with the zombie dramatizations <laughs> and stuff? I mean, what is that? That's sort of a way of, uh, it is a way of avoiding it, I guess, and, and saying, well, it's not really going to happen like that. So it, that, right, right. It's one way of dealing with it. Yeah. So what are some of the practical ways that you're learning that we can deal with death and dying and become more comfortable with it as a part of life? Right. So one of the key principles in our program is that the provider, the person themselves, is the instrument of healing. So we're a real emphasis on self-awareness and self-reflection in each of our courses so that the person, the provider themselves are dealing with what issues have they gone through, what biases, what fears do they have in their own lives, and processing some of that along with getting the academic content so that they're prepared as a person, as a, as a professional to go back into their context um, to be able to have those conversations. So I think um, that focus, the, that holistic focusing on the person is really important. Yeah, yeah. And all of us, I mean, not just professionals, we will all have to deal with it. That's right. Yeah. Our own and someone else's, likely more than one person. Yeah. And I just have to thank you. You read my book, Back to Happy, and you wrote such a, well, you wrote such a beautiful review. And I think when someone has gone through an intense grieving process, like I did with my daughter, Mm -hmm. there is, there is sort of, it's sort of like you just go you go to a different place and yeah. and where death is no longer such a mystery or such mm-hmm. a thing to be feared mm-hmm. because you know i mean i had to face it obviously right. i haven't gone through it myself but right. because the person who was closest to me in the world did i i sort of fear it a lot less yeah i think it teaches us how to live 
when we finally face death, whether it's ourselves or someone else's, just mortality in general, I think we learn how to live. I think we learn how we want to live, and we're very intentional about that going forward. Mm, that's a really good point. I agree. And I'm taking this yoga teacher training, and we're we're talking about living more mindfully, and and this this subject just comes comes to mind because you know when you've gone through any kind of a loss really mm -hmm. i think it it forces you to really look at your life and say you know what's important That's and right. and certainly death does the same thing yeah. michelle how can we start a conversation in our own homes uh, around the idea of death you know if our family is going through something or if we're anticipating or if we just want to raise our kids with a mm -hmm. a healthy awareness of the reality of death mm -hmm. That's a great question there's something that's brand new this year. It's called the Conversation Project. And I think that's actually what you can type into the, the web browser, the Conversation Project. And on there, they have a toolkit, two toolkits, actually. One is for having the conversation with your family or with your friends. And the second one is how to have that conversation with your doctor. And so it's not the advanced directive or the living will, although those can come next. This is really a... I think they put it like, go, get started, you know, get ready, go, how to follow up, how to keep going. Um, but it's very structured. There's different questions that you answer. You can fill it in online and print it. But it's a wonderful tool for getting started. Yeah, because talking with our doctor is often not easy. No, it's not easy. It's not a question that they usually bring up in your routine checkup, right? Yeah. How do you want to deal with and in this, yeah, and in this, this world that we we're living in right now, I mean, doctors are doing everything they can to keep us here and right. sometimes not in the patient's best interest. That's so. right. And so to have these conversations and to think through this while you're still well is the, is the best time to do that. And then you're able to talk with your family so your family is prepared for that as well. Absolutely. Is there anything that's that you foresee in the future that is sort of a positive light on this, aside from this study of thanatology? Mm -hmm. um, is there anything that you're seeing that's changing, that's shifting in our culture that is sort of looking good <laughs> in this, in this, I mean, realm. I just, the, the fact that we're there's more awareness about this, so we, can, we, you, and I can have conversations like this. There's the conversation project that's out there. I think um, Dr. Atal Gandhi, mm -hmm. Gandhi has done a lot of work on this. It's a recent book called Being Mortal, and they have a documentary on Frontline about that. Um, there's just so much more awareness. People are talking about this now. Yeah, it's really time. It's it really is. time for a professional who may work in the in the medical field or in hospice or even in the uh, clergy. Mm -hmm. um, how are you preparing them to better deal with the dying and and bereaved people? Yeah, it's a good question. And why don't I tell you a story about one of my students awesome. in the service learning course? Uh, our practicum site is a hospice in Baltimore, and so I had four students last fall. And they, this is their first introduction to death and dying. So one of my students who had really no experience with death and dying except for losing his grandmother the year before, he wrote in his reflection paper and he said, you know, I was getting to know this one gentleman. And at first, you know, there wasn't a lot of communication. And so I would just sit with him, kind of a silent healing presence, you know, so that he wouldn't have to be dying alone. And there came a point when he felt like the, the gentleman started to trust him. And uh, at one point he asked if he could, if the gentleman would teach him how to play chess. And the, he said the gentleman just sort of came alive. 
and felt useful again, right? Was able to engage in the world in something that he was passionate about. So we taught my student for several hours how to play chess. And they had this wonderful game and that was such a moment for my student. So he wrote about this experience and then he went back in the next week and the patient had died. Mm-hmm. And that was such a, a shock to a system. It was the first time he had encountered death in this context of the service learning course at the hospice. And he said, as he was writing in the next reflection, you know, I was struggling to find an analogy for this, to kind of process this emotionally for myself. And he came up with the most beautiful analogy. He said, you know, it reminded me of the Tibetan sand mandalas. And they will, can spend, in some cultures, weeks to months building this really beautiful, ornate mandala with sand. And as soon as it's completed, it's destroyed. Immediately destroyed. And then they use that sand to start building another one. And he said, you know, because my first thought was, what was the point of all that? You know, this man started to trust me. I started to emotionally engage with him. We started to develop this relationship. And then boom, he's gone. And I don't know how to deal with that. And so having that analogy of you building this beautiful thing, and then it's destroyed, but then it's rebuilt again. For him, that was a way of starting to process, how do I deal with death? And how do I continue to have the courage to engage with the next patient? Mm, And it doesn't diminish the grief. It doesn't at all, no. Yeah, yeah. And I think a lot of us in the culture, dealing with the grief is, is the big challenge, because we're we're so averse to suffering <laughs> at all. Yes, we are. At all. We are. Yeah. So for him to be able to sit with it. And he asked the social worker, his supervisor, you know, how can I better deal with this? And she said to him, each experience is new, and you can only prepare so much. And it does impact you. And so there's no cookie-cutter way to deal with the grief, except to be prepared that it, it will be there. Yeah, yeah. And also, uh, the the Buddhists have a, a great way of looking at everything with sort of a, a detachment, a loving mm-hmm. detachment, right. and a compassionate detachment, right. which allows us to move through things a little more easily, I think. What have your students learned from the dying and the study of death about how to how to live more fully? Yeah, it's a good question. When I they handed in their final papers and they said things like you know, <laughs> so this wasn't exactly the topic to bring up at parties of right. death and dying. Um, but they said, you know, it, it forced them again to really think about how they wanted to live. And the, the joy that came from that to be able to be intentional about how do I want to use my life? How do I want to engage in my life? Um, one of them said this was the best course I've taken this whole semester was to be able to be in this context. And I thought, isn't that interesting? Mm, it's so real. I mean, in this world, gosh, we... We deal with so much that's not real. <laughs> and to talk about death, which is a, yeah. a a human commonality, yeah, that really connects us all. It does connect us. Yeah. yeah. And it takes courage to face this. Why are people signing up for this class in thanatology? As we said, death is, is not the subject that you yeah. bring up at parties. That's Why right. are people signing up? You know, there was some commonality in our applicants this year. And that seemed to be that they've gone through some sort of loss themselves. I can think of one student in particular who lost her sister to suicide. And she said, you know, part of my motivation, or the main part of my motivation to do this was to process my own grief, 
but also as I go through that healing process to be able to help others. So I have quite a few that actually want to be grief counselors because they've experienced this and now they want the academic training background to be able to go out into the world and help. Sure, sure. Can we talk about spirituality a little bit and how that enters into the program, if at all? Sure, yeah. And I've asked my instructors to bring that up because that is one very common way that people deal with death and dying, to rely on their faith. Yeah, my uh, friend Bill, who was just here, shout out to Bill and Kathy. Thanks for stopping by today. (laughs) And when his dad passed, he said one of the reasons why he was so peaceful in his passing was because of his faith and Kathy his wife told the story she, Kathy's a nurse so she mm-hmm. was by his side as as were the rest of the family but Kathy was taking his vitals and she knew it was getting close and she said he folded his hands in in his lap and he he seemed to look to the right and Kathy said as a nurse when mm-hmm. she's been with other dying patients for some reason they look to the right and the only thing I could think of was in the Bible, Jesus was going to sit at the right hand of God. So I said, maybe that was it. Anyway, she said he looked up to the right, and he had this very peaceful look on his face. And he didn't say anything. But he was in a recliner, and he Mm. put his hands on the seat as if to raise his body to get Mm. up. And he didn't have the strength. So he sat back down in the chair, and he peacefully died. And she said it was you know, you hear stories like that where people have a lucid moment right before they pass. And um, she said that was just another one of the gifts that he gave. And so yeah, this, the spirituality and the faith that really obviously played a big role for him. And um, yeah, what a gift that was for their family. What a wonderful gift. And, you know, spirituality, I think one of the wonderful things about it is it frames death as a transition. So it's not the end. It is a a transition into another beginning, really, and people find much comfort in that. A continuation in a different capacity. That's right. I find the end-of-life stories, the near-death experiences, and I think that's fascinating, and the commonalities that they find and when they come back and how they live differently or that peace or experience of this um, unconditional love. Fascinating. Mm It is. And so many of the stories have similarities, you know, the tunnel and the light and, and the stories that are most um, intriguing to me are the ones of the children, Mm -hmm. because they're so innocent. And, and you can just tell they're not making this stuff up. up. Yeah, 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 yeah. So wonderful. Thank you so much, Michelle, for coming on to talk oh, about welcome. this this course. And for someone who might be interested in a course in thanatology, there aren't that many around the country yet, I'm assuming, really you know, but at the University of Maryland, a lot of it is online. The right? whole program is online. Oh, is it? Actually. Okay. Yeah, it's one of the things that makes us unique. And it's one of the things that works well for busy professionals is you can still be working full time. Sure. You know, come home, put your kids to bed and do your coursework. So it's a great way to fit that in. So for more information, how do we find you on the web? So you can go to the University of Maryland, Baltimore, and type in Thanatology, and up will pop our, our link to our website. And the official program name is Death, Dying, and Mourning. Applied Thanatology is an online graduate certificate program. And you have an open house coming up we in do. the spring. We of- have an online open house on Thursday, April the 30th from 4 to 4.30 and we'll have call-in instructions on the website for that. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been such a great conversation, and I'm really thinking about taking the course. So uh, I know, I know. It sounds like something that's right up my alley.
Thank you so much.